0: There is a character named Darth Vader. Anybody ever heard of Darth Vader? Okay, great. Just a few of you. Wow. Uh, So there is a character, Darth Vader, and there is a point in this movie called Star Wars, I think. Is that the movie? Star Trek, Star Wars. Aren't they the same? Just kidding, just kidding. Okay, more of you have seen it. Great. Okay, so there's a point. (laughs) Sam, come back. <laughs> Sam is so offended by my comparison that he's now leaving. Uh, okay, so there's this point in the movie where. There's this point in the movie where Sam is still walking. He's signing up to get baptized. Praise the Lord. Okay, so there, there's this point in the movie where Darth Vader is with Luke Skywalker or somebody. And he says. These important words, five words, these five important words that totally change everything you thought about the rest of the movie before that happens, right? Does anybody know what those five words were? Luke, I am your father. Luke, I am your father. Changed everything. You're like, what? Mind blown. That's crazy. <laughs> now come with me to the Caribbean, I think. Moana is riding the boat. She is trying to return the heart of Te Fiti, And there is this fiery, mad, angry figure that is like throwing fire at her, right? And then there's this moment where she is holding the heart of Te Fiti, and then she sees the layout of a person and then instantly she realizes, everything I thought about this person is changed, right? You guys know what that one is? Yeah, you're with me, good. So moments are powerful and there, there are some moments in movies where, or lines in movies or, or scenes in movies that totally transform the way that you see everything else that has already happened, right? Can you think of some? Bring them to mind. Moments are powerful. Well, tonight, we are going to see most one of the most epic scenes in Scripture that completely change everything this man that we're going to see tonight has thought. And it's going to completely change everything he thinks about the last few years of his life. And it is going to be crucial for him to get this new information that helps him see clearly. This changes his life, and it actually has changed our lives as well. So you guys can go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter eight. And by Luke, I mean Acts. Acts chapter eight. All right, Acts chapter eight. We are gonna meet a man named Saul tonight. Now, Saul is his Hebrew name. His Greek name is Paul. That's it. His Hebrew name is Saul. His Greek name is Paul. My name is actually Kate. I don't know how many of you knew that. That is my legal birth name. And there are people in my life that call me Kate. And there are other people in my life that call me Katie, like you guys. And so that is the name thing with Paul and Saul. Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul is his Greek name. This was very, very common for Jewish people living in the Roman Empire to have two names. So we meet this man with two names that we're going to call Saul tonight, because that's what he's called in our text. And he is a Jewish man living in the Roman Empire. He is a Pharisee. He is a follower of God, a Jewish man who holds tightly to the law. Now, why does he hold tightly to the law? Because that is the way that he can be justified. That is the way his sins are absolved and taken care of, is by following the law, by making the right sacrifices, by doing the right thing. So Saul, however, is missing a crucial piece of information that when he understands this information, it's gonna completely change everything for him. Let's see what type of man Saul is. So, some of you may remember a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Ralph came and was our guest speaker, and he was talking about this disciple of Jesus named Stephen who proclaims Jesus even to the point where he is stoned because he just will not stop proclaiming who Jesus is. Okay? And he is stoned to death, like literally, you know, rocks thrown, not like stoned which is also not ideal. Um, So he is stoned to death, and in chapter 7, stay in chapter 8, but in chapter 7, it says about this scene with Stephen, it says, Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And then it says, Saul approved of this killing. Now chapter 8, Saul approved of their killing him, meaning Stephen. On that that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Remember, the church has just begun. Jesus has come back and said, Hey, it was really me. I'm the Messiah. He gives the Holy Spirit. Jesus leaves. The Holy Spirit comes to be God with us, to empower us to live this life. And then the disciples go and they share this great news. And Stephen is killed for it because the news wasn't met with great joy in many places. And verse 3 says, Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So we see that Saul is a Pharisee, he is a zealous man. He will say this of himself later on. So he is a self-proclaimed zealous man. And he holds Israel's vocation as the people of God, the Jewish people, as the people of God so closely, as he should, right? And he thought it was so important that they obey the law. They did everything possible to weed out anything and anyone who challenged that vocation to remain the people of God. Because the people of God are set apart. They are supposed to be different. And so Saul is doing what he believes is right for the benefit of the nations to a degree that I disagree with, which is killing if necessary. It's violence. But he is zealous. He is like on fire. He is passionate. He's a little bit unruly, um, but he's passionate, and he goes, and he does whatever necessary. Like, so when he hears about Jesus, when he hears that there are a people, as we've been learning in Acts, a people who are saying that Jesus was the Messiah, this man who was crucified, they're saying he raised to life, and they're saying this man was the Messiah, he says, I need to take care of that. Like, I need to go weed them out because they're leading so many people astray. As we read, right? Thousands and thousands of people are coming to faith in Jesus. And so Saul is so zealous that he doesn't just wait for orders to go do this, but he actually asks, he says, high priest, give me permission, give me a letter saying I can go to the city of Damascus. And I'm going to go to the synagogue there, and I am going to find whatever Jews are not following the law like we know we should, that are not doing what we think we should, that are now following Jesus, and I'm going to bring them back and imprison them. And so that is where we find Saul in our passage today. He has such a passion for eliminating the sect of Jesus who are called the way, these followers, that he asked to do that in Damascus. So he gets permission. So now turn over to Acts chapter 9 with me. That's where we're going to be tonight for the rest of the night. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to go to the synagogues in Damascus so that If he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. By the grace of God. That's not in there, but it's true. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what to do. Saul is on his way to arrest the followers of Jesus and instead he is struck by a bright light where he falls to the ground when he asks confusion. Who are you, Lord? Like, who is speaking to me? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And when the bright light comes, Jesus says, I am Jesus. He thought Jesus was dead at this point. He did not think that Jesus had risen from the dead. How incredible would this moment have been Jesus, the man who was crucified, who Saul knows about, and whose followers claimed he rose to life, Jesus meets him on that road. And Jesus says, It is me that you are persecuting. The text continues and tells us that he stays blind and has to be led into the city of Damascus for the next three days. For the next three days. When I was thinking about this passage and when I was meditating on it, I thought, wow. What a moment where there would probably be such incredible joy that he had never felt before, never experienced before, knowing that Jesus, if Jesus is saying this to me, then he must be the Messiah. Because remember, Saul was Jewish. He was waiting for the Messiah to come. Such great joy. The Messiah has come. This is Jesus talking to me, which means he raised from the dead, which means he does have power, which means he he is the Messiah. So great joy. And then, over here, as Saul is processing, if Jesus really is the Messiah, then that means all those people that I have stood by and approved being killed, that means all those people that I have arrested and put in prison, all the men and women, that those were the people who had it right. Because Saul thought he had it right. But when he encounters Jesus, he realizes There is such great joy that Jesus is the Messiah. And there is such great sorrow knowing what he has done. So the text tells us that Saul doesn't eat or drink for three days. And as I was studying this, I was like, oh, maybe it's because he was fasting, because he was such a holy man. And most scholars believe that he was just in shock. I don't know if you've ever been there where you encounter something so life-changing, maybe something really good, maybe something really hard, that you're like, my appetite, like I, my body's not even thinking about food, it is just thinking about what just happened. And so Saul doesn't eat or drink for three days. This is Jesus, the Messiah, At the same time that Saul is experiencing this and being led to Jerusalem, because once he experiences that bright light, once he hears Saul, Saul, which are echoes of Old Testament encounters with Jesus, we call them Christophanies, um, double name, bright light, this is a Christophany, he's like, I am Jesus. Once he encounters that, the, he's blind. He can't see, and so he is led to, to Damascus And at the same time, God is at work elsewhere. Isn't that so cool that God can be at work in your life and in the life of someone else? Just like we've heard these testimonies the past three weeks of people that were in Cairo, people that were in Boston, people that were in Oman. At the same time, God at work in all those places through the Holy Spirit. So at the same time, drop down to Acts 9 verse 10. In Damascus, there was a man, there was a disciple of Jesus named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. So this is a follower of Jesus in the city that Saul was headed to. Yes, Lord. He says, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying in a vision he has seen a man named ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight lord ananias answers i have heard many reports about this man he's like word has gotten around this dude is bad like and not in the good way i have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in jerusalem like surely lord you have this wrong and he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. God tells Ananias what to do, and Ananias is like, I don't know about this, God. Like, it's not a secret who Saul is. It's not a secret about these papers that he's received. And, and the fact that God wanted Ananias to go and seek Saul out? No way. This man, he says, this man is out to get me, God. That is too hard. That is too scary. No way. So then Ananias just leaves. Just kidding. He He tells God how he's feeling. Did you know we can do that? When we feel like God's prompting us to do something and it makes us a little nervous, we can tell God how we're feeling. So we see, he says, God, this is how I'm feeling. Like, are you sure? Verse 15, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. God's basically saying, yes, I know what I'm asking you to do. I've already promised I'm going to be with you, right? And he's saying, it's worth it. This man, Saul, is going to change the world. He's going to proclaim my name to basically everyone and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. He's like, don't worry, I've got this. So Ananias, even though he's afraid for his life, rightly so, he is obedient to God. And I wonder what could happen for us personally and for others if we chose obedience to God over our comfort. So Ananias goes. Verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul. And I find that so interesting because just a few verses before in verse 13, when Ananias is talking to God about Saul, he's like, God, this man, like this man, this one, like this guy is crazy. But then here we see when he approaches Saul, he says, brother Saul. And the change is stark and it sets the tone and it reflects the kind of community that God is creating, this community of brothers and sisters, this familial community. And so Ananias says, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, like something from scale like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained strength. So Paul is blinded on the road. The bright light is blinding. He is blind for three days. Ananias comes. He's healed, and then he's immediately baptized to show his allegiance to Jesus, like some of you are going to be baptized, which we're really excited about, to show death to a former way of life, death to a former allegiance, and being raised to life with Christ in this new allegiance, saying, I'm going to live for Jesus. And we see a miracle here. We know that Saul receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit in this moment, just like God said would happen. We know this from future writings of Saul. And we see this miracle. Saul's eyes are open and he can see, physically and spiritually now, everything has changed. So God has called Saul and it was the call of God But it came through Ananias. I was wondering, like, God, why didn't you just tell Saul this on the road? Like, why did he have to do this? Why did he have to go to Ananias? Why did Ananias have to be scared and then go to Paul? Like, what were you doing there? And I think that this is a beautiful picture of how God works through community. Because it's not just about our, our personal relationship with Jesus. We don't see that kind of individualistic picture in scripture, in Acts, this early church, where the Holy Spirit is at work. We see this communal fellowship with God and with people, with brothers and sisters. So Ananias is brave enough to share a word he receives from the Lord for someone else, for Saul. Has someone ever given you a word from the Lord or something that they thought may be a word from the Lord for you? Sometimes I know in my life I've been like, whoa, are you like reading my email or like my Instagram messages? That's crazy. Are you allowing God to speak to you through other people? The coolest part, I think, of this is that Ananias is never mentioned again. I think it's so cool because it shows that Ananias wasn't about building his own kingdom, right? It wasn't about making much of himself. It was about making much of Jesus. And I love that. Ananias is faithful to what God says to do. And it's so important because you're going to see Saul changes so much of the world. But there's no courage, I tell my kids, without first being afraid. Ananias has courage to share. And I tell my kids all the time, I have four kids. And sometimes we do scary things, like sometimes there's something they haven't experienced before, or yeah, there's just, sometimes things are hard or scary and we have to be brave. And I tell them every time, I'm like, you know what? You can be brave. And they can tell you, you should ask them to quiz them. You can say, oh, what do you need to be brave first? Or what do you first need to be courageous? And they'll say, you have to be afraid, right? And I don't think that Ananias went to Saul super confident Like, I think he probably was still a little bit afraid. Maybe he was like, hey, Saul, like, are we good? But he's faithful to share and faithful to be obedient to God. Just like Ashlyn was talking about that next yes, sometimes those next yeses are a little scary. Sometimes they may be a little uncomfortable. But it's so important that we're obedient to God because it changes our life and it could change the lives of someone else. So what is the next thing Saul does? So we see Saul receives this word, this commissioning, right, this call. And the next thing that Saul does is that he goes to the synagogue. This place he was already going to, right? That was his end goal already. I wonder how many of you God led to JMU. You thought it was for certain reasons, but God knew it was so that you could know him more deeply. Saul went to Damascus. That was his end goal all along. He gets to the same place he thought he was going to get. But God completely transforms him on the way. And instead of killing or imprisoning the Jews there, he instead proclaims who Jesus is to them. Verse 19 says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. See, when we encounter Jesus, we are transformed. And when we encounter Jesus, we are gonna proclaim who Jesus is. Josh said last week, maybe, or two weeks ago, he said, when we find something we love, right, we wanna tell everybody about it, whether it's a product or a way of doing something, and even more with Jesus. At once he begins to preach. Verse 19, Saul spent several days with the disciples. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among all those who call on, his, on this name Jesus? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners? they were like so confused which tells you the transformation that happened. Verse 22, yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill Saul. How the turns have tabled. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When we encounter Jesus, we're transformed. And sometimes that might lead to persecution. The Jews here are not happy with Saul. They anticipated them helping their cause. And instead he comes and he's sharing, Jesus is really the son of God. You would think that it would have been like, really believable, since they knew who Saul was, and they saw him changed. So Saul escapes, and I can only imagine that he's um, like, wow, this is different, usually I'm on the other side. Uh, And he actually, most scholars think right at this moment, he actually goes to the Arab Peninsula, because in his future writings, which are a lot of the New Testament, He talks about going to Arabia, going to the Arab Peninsula, which some of you were just there. Isn't that crazy? And it's about three years that they think, and I think what Saul's doing is, he is working it out with God. He's figuring out, okay, so Jesus is the Messiah, wait, and he's thinking about Old Testament prophecies, and he's like, wait, that came true in Jesus. Oh my gosh, God said this was going to happen with Messiah. That came true in Jesus. And if this is true, then Jesus has brought about the kingdom of God and everything is different and everything is new in Christ. Verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. So after his time in Arabia, after he pleased in he had some time in Arabia most likely. In 26 it says, when he came to Jerusalem... He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. When we are transformed by our encounter with Jesus, we may not be welcomed. The disciples are afraid of him. And it kind of makes sense, right? They had heard about them; They had seen him at Stephen's stoning, probably. And I just wonder if we could make room for people being transformed, right? They knew who Saul used to be, but can we make room in our relationships for who God is transforming us to be? Thankfully for Saul, there was a man named Barnabas. Barnabas was a proclaimer of the gospel. He was a disciple, an early church planter, someone who was getting the word out that Jesus is really the messiah and that he has brought about the kingdom of god everything that hunter prayed during that prayer everything that the cross did they are proclaiming this good news and barnabas it says in verse 27 barnabas took him saul and brought him to the apostles barnabas is like vouching for him He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly the name of Jesus. When we are transformed, when we have encounter with Jesus that is transforming to us, because encounters with Jesus always are, we need community. We need a person like Barnabas. Has someone ever done this for you? Has someone ever been a good friend and an encourager to you? His name actually means encourager. Barnabas means encourager. You can change your name if you want. It's a good one. Barnabas means, means encourager and, and he encourages and he takes Saul along. And later we see Barnabas and Paul going on and planting the church together. Barnabas has given space for what God has done in Saul's life. Barnabas has given space for Saul being transformed. So after this, Saul is yet again hunted down by the Jews were very frustrated with him because he has a very well-spoken person. He is very persuasive, and because of the testimony of his changed life, more and more people are coming to Jesus, and the Jews are like, this is not good. And so they chase him down. He is chased out of Jerusalem. He ends up back in his homeland of Tarsus, and he stays there for years. He stays there probably making tents, probably still working it out with God. What does this mean? And he stays there trying to proclaim to his family, Jesus really is the Son of God. Jesus really is the Messiah. Saul is often said to be one of the most persuasive people in the early church. Really good with words, really powerful communicator. Um, You have read many of his writings if you've read many of the letters in the New Testament. But scholars believe that he spent years trying to convince his family, and he doesn't. And sometimes that might happen to us today, whether it's family or friends, and the pain is so deep when people don't get it. And we see this through actually some of Romans, where Paul grieves, the fact that people don't know Jesus is Messiah. And it's because he knows that Jesus changes lives. Jesus transforms lives. Saul eventually goes more by Paul and he writes letters to encourage the church. He plants the church in really hard places. We're gonna hear about some of those places the rest of the semester as we see what the Holy Spirit does through Saul when we encounter jesus we are transformed we are transformed and if god can use a man like saul who literally was trying to stop the advancement of the gospel he wasn't apathetic he was literally against the gospel being proclaimed if god can transform saul to become one of the greatest proclaimers of truth, someone who goes on to write the majority of the New Testament letters, God can certainly transform you and me.